And welcome back, everybody. We are here with hour number two, speaking tonight with Alan Watt, and we've been breaking down some very, very interesting and fascinating information, bringing everything really together as to the history of where our current society and culture comes from, the people that have manipulated it into place so that they can continue to pillage what's left of our resources, our countries, our freedoms, and it's the same old objective as it's always been, and that really is about, you know, full-spectrum dominance, control, and to acquire power. And uh, really, when you have all the money you could possibly have, I guess it just kind of gets boring for them, so they get their kicks by manipulating what's left of the humanity and by bringing us further into this sort of prison state that we're all in right now. And I personally don't feel that uh, it's any time to tuck tail and run or to give up or to uh, feel completely pessimistic about it. Um, what we really need to do is to create awareness. I mean, I've always compared it to if you have some kind of a, an illness or a disease, you can ignore it. You can try to run from it. You can try to say that, well, it's it's kind of uh, keeping me in a negative state of mind, so I don't really want to think about it. But at the end of the day, only when you study it and understand how it works understand how you got infected, understand where the infection is going to spread next, uh, only then can you actually try to do something about it. And at the very least, if we can become aware and to uh, really embrace the truth, that's ultimately the goal here is to find out what's true, not necessarily what we want to be true or what we would hope to be true, but what is in fact true. And that's actually what inspired me originally to get involved in this and to do this research. And it's what drives me today is to try to uncover the truth because it's been hidden. It's been obscured from view intentionally. And um, I personally am the kind of person that I really don't want to be living in any kind of an illusion. I want to live with what's real. I want to know what's really going on. So um, that's the drive behind this show. And we have Alan Watt breaking some of that down with us tonight, and we're very grateful for that. And Alan, you're getting into a very interesting topic about how there's a lot of subliminal messaging that is being relayed to us and that is affecting our subconscious minds and getting into how they're using colors and symbols, terms uh, that are used throughout Hollywood, the media. Uh, you're bringing up video games, which is is something that I've been very aware of and I've actually been seeing with some of the youth that I work with. Um, I actually run a martial arts studio and I work with a lot of young kids. I talk to them all the time and I keep kind of on tabs of what's coming out and what people are into. And some of these video games and these movies are so incredibly violent and dark that, I mean, what happened to just even just like something like Super Mario Brothers or something, or it seemed rather innocent at least. Uh, nowadays, you're waterboarding people, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. you can pretty much do anything, and I mean anything. And these are 11, 10-year-old kids that are being affected by this. Um, so I wonder if you could continue to break that down for people and how this isn't just something that happened organically because it's the new cool thing to do. Where did that whole idea of what's cool and what's in actually come from? It came really from, as I say, an amalgamation of military concepts to militarize at least one generation, using video games as an example, and coupled with the new moral relativity where nothing's right or wrong anymore. To destroy completely the old culture, that's a very important part of it. Uh, 
the Frankfurt School, based in Germany, that moved out again uh, just before World War II, came over to America, and, and that branch in Britain too. But um, they went through their books, it's fascinating, they talked about how they would bring down totally the culture and destroy it completely, that of the West. It had to be done, they said. And they were given permission by uh, Truman, and then the later presidents, to implement their changes on the American culture, Canadian culture, the British, and so on, and European. Uh, and uh, Lord Bertrand Russell was attached to their, to their organization on this task. They also had the Macy Group set up, too, that worked with them. Uh, and another group that came from the old Vienna School as well. These were all top intellectuals that, that were supposedly going to avert all wars of the future by altering society and all of its concepts of, of uh, right and wrong. Because they, they, claimed, they claimed that the, the cultures were basically toxic. That's when it, it was first used that term, toxic culture. Uh, and of course, it's nothing was further from the truth because the culture goes the way of the elite uh, at all time, including the same elite too that used them before. There's no problem using uh, the British Empire, as I say, for World War One to, to get what they wanted too. A war that shouldn't have happened in the first place. No one's made any sense of it yet. But we can find again that the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Milner Group have been agitating for war with Germany for, for before World War I, when they were even having the Boer War undergo, which they also started, by the way. Uh, that's also in, in their archives. So you have a group gone through time, down through time, uh, using the, the, the wars they create, blaming the general public, we've got to change our ways, and it's your cultures that are wrong, so we've got to destroy them and bring in new culture. When you have no culture t- at all, you're dominated by the ruling elite completely, because everyone's doing their own thing, they think, but they have no common bonds between each other. When there's no common, common unification amongst the, the communities of the people, uh, they, they are completely serfs, they're back to serfdom, which, by the way, is the goal of this complete organization. They've said that themselves. Carl Quigley, again, the historian, said the goal of the future, and he was all for this, remember, being a top member and their historian for their own archives with the real version of history, why things happened, with all the black, the blanked out bits put in there in his books. He said the new feudal system will be brought in by the rich, wealthy elites, he says. The new feudal overlords of this, this system uh, will be the CEOs of international corporations. You have that today. You have it. It's already here. Uh, uh, that, that's why they've signed all the international agreements for free trade. That's all part of it. The Royal Institute of International Affairs brought forth that concept, free trade, as an idea. Because once you start trading freely, all your laws are based around economics. People don't realize that. Even life sentences for murdering someone is due to how much it will, that person as a taxpayer was worth to the government. Now they can't pay taxes. Literally, that's how it's worked out. So... Uh, all your laws are based around economics. Once you start getting into international law that must come out of binding all the countries together under common markets, etc., uh, then, then you're into a global structure, a global society, and ergo you have a global parliament to be set up eventually. For NAFTA, they agreed during their free trade negotiations uh, prior to that that the new capital for the Americas, they even tossed around the idea uh, that uh, it would be based in Montreal. That came out at the time in the papers. Hmm, wow, so, that's uh, interesting. 
uh, they did one for Brussels, of course. Brussels is for the whole of Europe now. And now the colonies of Europe, the little countries of Europe are simply provincial colonies now. They're not countries anymore. And you found that uh, uh, von Rompuy, uh, the head of the, this unelected head of this non-democratic institution called the European Parliament and the Commission, he said, and I've read it on the air from his own articles, he said uh, the, the, time of, the age of the nation-state is over. There are no, they're obsolete, he said. And so he works again for the same organization. They're all an issue for international affairs because every top parliamentarian in the European Union is a member of the European Institute for International Affairs. They've even created that one too for them. So if you if you were a planner and a doer and a front man for this group, you, you are a member of it in all leading positions of authority in every country across the planet. The countries that don't have it are being bombed out of existence and into compliance today. <laughs> so that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you just see this moving forward more and more. And it makes me think of something. I mean, it seems to be that they've already got their global government. They're just, like you said, they're just cleaning up the leftovers that are just the last stray hairs sort of thing. Um, and yet everybody's waiting for when the world government is going to be announced. And it was kind of like the thing with the North American Union, where we had the warning signs of them uh, going ahead and bringing these agreements into place. And then uh, I remember tracking this and looking into this back in 2008, 2009, and seeing that they were moving forward with it. But then it never fully came out publicly, so we covered the fact that they do this covertly. Uh, it, I guess it's the same thing when we're talking about a global government. Uh, they're just going to sneak it up on everybody, and they've pretty much got it nailed. And I guess they're just well. The United Nations already is the embryo, you see. Yeah, yeah. And they said that when they set it up as a League of Nations, even prior to that, they actually thought they could bring it in as a global government after World War One, because the wars they knew were going to sicken the people, with, and not just with massive debt and rationing and, and slaughter and main people coming back with no arms and legs, uh, but the people didn't give up their national inclination to, to stay as a country or, or to have sovereignty, at least as a country, uh, because there are differences between nations, believe it or not, against all the propaganda. In fact, the guys who tell us there's difference amongst different peoples are the Royal Society, which is a branch of the Royal Society for International Affairs. They have us all categorized, no matter what ethnic group you come from, they have all the different positive points, weak points, and how to manipulate all those weak points too, by the way, if they need to. And they have done, done through the centuries to exploit them. So... Uh, these guys are complete hypocrites whenever they tell us to do something because they know a different story at the top. To, to bring in complete globalization, you want a multicultural society that doesn't... And even then, they know they're going to have problems because some cultures will not give up their identities. You know, they're, they're very in-group types that interbreed amongst themselves and so on. And therefore, they'll take more hammering eventually along the way to get them to integrate because they want to destroy all existing strong cultures to bring in this global society which this dominant uh, international elite can control. And that's almost here, by the way. You know. Oh, and I see it here. You know, I live in Toronto, so of course it's a very multicultural town, uh, city. And we see that you have the people that are 
keeping to their traditions. And, you know, then you have the people that have very much assimilated to our so-called Canadian culture, um, which is really just the whole, you know, American, Western, uh, globalist culture that was completely manufactured artificially, right? Yeah, and understand, too, the Frankfurt School said it was really that the European nations and all of the, because even Canada and the States was mainly European for a long time, uh, these were the countries they wanted to completely annihilate. Uh, and that's true, that's been happening for a long, long time. And even the countries are bringing in the, the, from, from ethnic groups, they tell them initially to keep their cultures, but at the same time, they give them a set amount of time, and then they'll come down on them too, to bring in this new, uh, really, in fact, there'll be no culture at all. It'll, be, it'll just be a kind of amorphous mass, and your culture will be whatever the government tells you and trains you to be. Uh, that's already in the planning stages, of course. They've got it all worked out. So uh, eventually everyone gets it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. And then, and what I, what I've seen is that it seems to be that once these people come here, they start to, you know, they might start off wanting to stay traditional, but then, you know, you get absorbed into the whole media and the what what's popular here and what everybody else is doing. And then you start buying these processed foods. A lot of them have no idea what, that it's all genetically modified. It's got, it's laced with chemicals. Uh, they don't realize, they think that the tap water here is clean. It's much yeah. cleaner than back <laughs> home, right? But it's loaded with fluoride and other things in there too. So it, it brings them on board one way or another. Oh, yeah, but it's mainly through the young. Uh, they already have that catered to through the education system. Yeah. Uh, and understand, too, uh, you can't shelter a child today. You can't, it can't be done. You can't pass on simply your morality or your culture to the people or the children because they're overloaded everywhere they go with, with, with uh, sex and everything. Their hormones are racing at a young age. And believe you me, these boys at the top count, always count on that. And that's when they get them. Uh, they're hypersexualized, and that again is, is to make them, uh, in fact, um, Bertrand Russell and, and Julian Huxley, especially the brother of Aldous Huxley at UNESCO. He was the first CEO of UNESCO, also one of the founding, founding people for Planned Parenthood and abortion industry and population reduction. He said if we can hypersexualize the children uh, and make sure that they start eating pup- in a pubertal way, uh, then uh, he said they'll never mate for, with, for life with anybody. They'll have lots and lots of partners, but they will never mate with, uh, for, for a partner to have children. So the, so the idea, how clever it is to hypersexualize them, have lots of sex, but don't have no children, you see. And Bertrand Russell worked with them too on that very project and talked about it in some of his books. So it's happened, it's been introduced, they've done what they wanted to do, uh, the, the traditional family is, is gone pretty well, and what's left is almost dysfunctional because even what the young adults say uh, were hypersexualized in their turn as well, and they don't have moral, uh, a moral stance on things. It's moral relativity again. If you're being bombarded with pictures on television of young women all the time uh, dancing and prancing around like Gaga and all the rest of them, uh, you're going to look at your wife as she gets older without seeing yourself getting older, and it's going to affect you. Same goes with the women too, by the way, with all the massive stuff they're fed. This is all, you understand, the culture industry is the main controlling factor. It's not out there just to entertain you by any means whatsoever. You have to go into the history of Hollywood, for an example, what a fantastic history it is. When some of the founders of Paramount and all the top stations said, Americans had no culture until we came here. We gave it to them. Wow, completely manufactured. 
Uh, completely. Same with the uh, music industry and everything. Anyone can be made a star when the big machinery gets behind you. But if, but if you're going to do something that they don't want, you'll, you'll never be heard of. You must go along with the current agenda, where it's wearing leotards and prancing around on stage as a guy, or whatever happens to be. Uh, I can remember when they were pushing, because there was a lot of session work for some big bands and so on, and for guys that were kind of sick on certain substances they could even perform. Uh, on, on, on their big shows on the go But um, you, you found out that um, uh, The word would come down to songwriters And the music writers uh, And so I bring up the words To, to do away with uh, any, any mention of he or she in a song To, to be gen, gender neutral That was the 1970s 1970s You didn't hear that term until about another decade later Or even longer But it was, they were all told that Because they were in the culture creation business Without even knowing it so you want to write a song that didn't put, don't put he or she, so anybody could sing it to anybody, and you would never think about it then, you see. And had all these, these updates get coming down the line. If you didn't comply, you, you, your stuff was not going to be heard or bought or anything else. And that's so, to try to bring in that whole, I guess, subliminal programming for preparation. just neutrality, I guess. So there's no identity, there's no, like you said, that's they're right. erasing the cultural bounds, they're also erasing your sexual identities and confusing that realm of things as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I knew a lot of guys in the bands and so on, and other session guys too. I'd meet them here and there. And they were having a hard time in the late 70s into the 80s as they were changing into the so-called heavy metal leotard-type long hair with a lot of expensive hairdos and stuff. Uh, very effeminate looking uh, because, a lot of the, because the guys were basically straight. And, and the big buys, guys who were managing the whole organizations, and I'm talking about the machinery behind it, uh, they even brought you rap later on. It wasn't the guys you see performing it brought you rap. It was just the same big guys, you know, that create the, that really control, I mean total control of the culture industry. They put the word out too that this is what they wanted to project to the youth. And so if you didn't go along with that kind of dress code and all the rest of it, etc., uh, you, you, you just didn't get in. It was simple as that. So a lot of the guys were, were got very unpleasant and unhappy about it and went to different countries abroad where they could still perform the stuff that they liked to do without having to dress up like something that they were not, you know. So you, people have no idea whatsoever of the complete control of all culture. They give you the heroes to follow, the idols to follow, uh, in movies too, as well as music, and I mean, look who's, look who are, who's the average um, idol for, for the young female of today to watch in, in the music scene, you know? Well, yeah, like we got this whole thing that took place with what was it, Miley Cyrus, and she was this young, innocent pop star, and she was cutesy tootsy with the pigtails and the whole thing, and then all of a sudden she turned into this crazy, you know, yeah. <laughs> just doing like strip teases on stage with rappers and stuff. And, and she's completely managed, though. She doesn't even know it herself. Yeah. She's completely managed by the handlers uh, that's been around her. There's more to that story than meets the eye, actually. But it's a different story altogether. But, yeah, these ones, when they were up on stage, and you've been watching it under rap for years, too. It's like gang-banging on stage, for God's sake. Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves here. And youngsters are, are, are fixed on that because their hormones are jumping. And you expect them to grow up into some ordinary adult that's, that's maybe, in a very odd chance, going, going to marry somebody and, and keep a species going here? No, it's not going to happen, you know. And getting back to the culture creators, Lord Bertrand Russell, and especially Charles Galton Darwin in the 1950s. Now, Charles Galton Darwin, also a top member of these international groups planning in the whole future, 
uh, and a descendant of, of Charles Darwin, of course. He was a physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project, so he was into that and eugenics, they call it his lineage. But he wrote in his own book, The Next Million Years, he said, um, we, we shall do all these things that I've mentioned, like hypersexualization of the people. But he says, we've got to bring down the population of the ordinary people. In other words, it's not too many people, it's too many of the wrong kind of people, you understand. Oh, I see. Because the future is to be for the new scientific, technocratic elites that can go into the future and serve uh, their masters. They won't need all the labor that they have today, you see. So he said that um, if we can tempt the women into the workplaces and so on, he said, then, uh, uh, and, and offer them material things like cars and so on. And, and, and reading, again, use the culture industry to promote all this through movies and fiction, then, then they'll go for it. And again, they won't get married. They won't want children, he said. We can also introduce uh, sterilization agents into the males through the, either the water, uh, the food, or, or we can put it, put it through uh, injections even, he said. And all of that's actually been done. It's, hor- it's a horrific story, but it is actually documented. It is, I mean, it is actually documented. Even the United Nations talked about their wonderful golden rice a few years ago. It was in the Canadian papers. Going to give it to all the third world countries. It just had a little side effect. It made men sterile, you know. Well, you see, they've been doing all the things they talked about because you don't have world meetings with all the top honchos there who make up a wish list for, list for Santa Claus. These guys have the ability and the power to, to, to get it into action. And since they're not going to get volunteers to come forward very readily, they do it, folks. They simply do it. It's been done. We've watched this, the, the infertility skyrocket. Now it's a plague today. Oh, yeah. I've even noticed people that I know that are um, just absolutely not, the amount of people that are not able to have children or that have you know, women that are having miscarriages, etc. It's just, it's literally mind-boggling. Yeah. And that's the just the people that I know. The, the biggest growing industry in the U.S. in that little field is, is, is the fertility clinics. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was unheard of only 30 years ago, you know. But it's all here now. It's not happening by chance. Things don't just happen by chance when they've been planned that way, written about in academia, lots of papers and books and so on. And, and bingo, it just comes along by itself. It doesn't happen like that, folks. Yeah. So it's, it's because it was planned that way. Well, and people just think that it's normal, so they normalize it. So, oh, it's just normal that you have, like, seven miscarriages before you can get <laughs> yeah. pregnant, and it, it just, they normalize all You're, of it. See, it's, it's, it's a new normal, and I, I used that phrase a long time ago, and the media caught up with it, too. Uh, new normals, and I, so I was explaining how we're given new normals all the time. Yeah. And, I know, and we're so adaptable as a species, like Darwin said. We do adapt very quickly without thinking or reasoning something through. We just adapt to it and even use the terms that they give us to use quite, quite readily in conversation without even thinking about what we're really, really saying and what it means. But uh, it's all really been done. We, we know that not just the bisphenol A's, uh, they've been on the go for a long time. In the late 1800s, they knew what bisphenol A did in plastics uh, and what it did to the human. They knew it caused infertility then and cancers. But uh, apart from that, you also have the, the, the massive uh, pesticides that are put, put into uh, um, as fertilizers and so on too, uh, along with all the GM stuff and non-GM. And this stuff, too, uh, is also responsible for giving you lots of cancers, again, population reduction, uh, and also infertility as well. 
Well, and then, yeah, and also the vaccination programs, et cetera, that are in effect and the toxins that are in there causing all yes. kinds of havoc and creating this epidemic of um, autism and variations of it. And you just see that they, they're, getting, they're creating a society of people that are going to be completely disassociated, unable to communicate to people around them effectively, um, very, you know, just not stable mentally. And there's variations of it that come from that. And, of course, they test all these things on the military first and foremost, and then they unleash it on the public. Yeah, another key to it is what they said about how to take the populations of the world down. Because when when Kissinger was in uh, a long time ago with Nixon and so on, uh, and he put out a memorandum. I've got it up on my website, the actual whole thing. They put out there, almost like a bill by himself, but um, it was to do with, with population reduction because he signed agreements with the United Nations. And initially, you talked talk about the third world countries. What he said was the third world countries can be taken down very quickly because they don't get much news coverage at all. They don't have the wealth to even have lots of newspapers, if any, some of them. And, and no one's going to know or care, by the way. He said, this is the mandate for third world countries. War, famine, plague and the like can be used. And by the way, they are being used and have been used in the past. Same as Bertrand Russell. But Kissinger also said, uh, he said that, um, and so did Russell too, by the way, uh, it's possible in in the Western countries, uh, more crippling, disabling diseases will will put a lot of people out of the marrying market because no one will want to marry disabled people. Today, you have the largest, as you say, autism. It's just skyrocketing. I've I've compared a lot of the charts, even in the U.S., which is a good way to do it, state by state, and you'll see it skyrocketing along with inoculations introduced into those states. They're identical identical charts. And and the same thing, too, with, with juvenile arthritis. And this, is, this was an old person's disease at one time. Now it's now common amongst young people. Juvenile arthritis. Again, after the inoculations, etc. Now these things are autoimmune problems. The only thing that's affecting your immune system, apart from all the pesticides and so on, it's also the injections because they're designed to go for your immune system. <laughs> oh yeah, and then you don't even have the ability to fight any of that. And, and so they come down very quickly. Yeah, after the shots with it. So lots of things that are happening. They know damn well that the top was causing it. They'll keep poo-pooing it because they must continue with this agenda. And interesting enough, um, you mentioned Agenda 21 a little while back. My fleeting destiny is all I need to prevail. This is the Truth Frequency Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. For this show tonight, very important information that we're breaking down, and we have one final segment left with Mr. Alan Watt. And Alan, before the break, uh, you just got cut off. We were making a really good point, talking about the uh, vaccinations, the uh, risk in autism and other autoimmune diseases, um, juvenile. What was it? Juvenile. Um, we were talking about that. There was all kinds of these different offshoots of these diseases that were very shocking. So maybe we could continue where we left off there. Yeah, what, what interested me too was as I say that uh, if you're disabled uh, or class is, is, is disabled uh, technically you're outside the marriage market same with chronic fatigue syndrome that comes after lots of shocks and so on uh, a lot of women get this and they're just too tired to even go outdoors you know? so um, these are things that are very real 
Epstein-Barr virus and so on, all these things broke out about the same time suddenly with all the inoculations that were getting promoted. There's more to come, by the way, because the United Nations World Health Organization has said, and it said back when it was the League of Nations, the same darn thing, that eventually everyone in the globe will have a mandatory set of inoculations to get and eventually yearly boosters. And that was repeated by the, the UN's WHO not so long ago too. So your whole world should be run by government agencies and experts, etc., cradle to grave. But what was interesting recently was um, to find out there was an organization like the Royal Institute for International Affairs uh, in China. Uh, because you think China is a communist separate country. Oh, no, no. China didn't come up by its own bootstraps any more than Russia did, the Soviet Union did. It was financed by the Western bankers, and that is well documented, by the way. But... Um, China uh, is now in charge as a major domo of all the, the, the old satrapies, which are Australia and New Zealand. They're the, the big dominant player, as, as the Royal Institute for International Affairs said it would be. They, they, were, they planned this. They, they talked about this in the 1930s, setting China up to be the top producer for the planet. And recently, they came, the China's president came out, or prime minister came out, and said... Um, in a statement for his version, their own version of the Royal Institute for International Affairs or CFR, he said, and we must hold the West to their promise that they will also keep to the program of depopulation. And this was an official statement. It was published. I've got the whole PDF here. And, uh, uh, and I says, my God, you know, they have the whole world sewn up here. The whole world's under the same agenda. Well, isn't it a lot of these vaccines themselves are actually made in China? <laughs> oh, they are today. In fact, they killed an awful lot of diabetics off by the impurities. that They started shipping them into the West without even changing their labels. And uh, lots of them were having comas, even they were sticking to their diets. And, and they, they really know their stuff, diabetics. You have to. And they were sticking to their, their insulin doses, and, uh, and they were dropping dead, uh, a lot of them. So... Uh, you, you find that a lot of the drugs that's coming over there have lots of impurities, indeed. And uh, it doesn't matter. It's the same big pharma companies, by the way, that run uh, their organizations in China. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like we said about everything else. This is global in reach. This is, these are corporations that have the backing, the financing, and the influence, and the control over these so-called government-regulated groups like the WHO, the CDC, etc. They're all, they're all, it's all about the money at the end of the day, and people still yeah. like to buy into the lie that because there's some kind of control group there from the government that we're paying for, then we can trust them, and, and therefore everything they're saying is true, when well, that's this, this this not even close. Well, this, this was all set up by Edward Bernays. You know, Edward Bernays, the, the guy who gave America its consumer society, and who worked with lots of presidents, even to get wars going. He was instrumental in getting the, the, the war drums beating to fight Germany in World War One. And he, he worked right through his, he worked, he lived into his 90s, and he was still working away with presidents, you know. Uh, top manip- manipulator understanding of human minds and the masses' minds. And he was the guy who uh, uh, was getting a lot of these tasks, you understand, to train the public, how he trained the general public, which even his daughter said he had absolute contempt for. Bernays hated the general populace because he said there was too easy to manipulate. 
too trusting and so on. And they believed everything they were told. And it was too easy to get them to change their behavior. Behavior modification is a, a, a completely uh, foolproof art today. It works on most people. Most people don't know their compasses. You're not an individual. You're a composite in different areas of your personality given to you and, and, and indoctrinated into you and adopted by you to, to, to be accepted by your peer group in society. Uh, it's an old art. Oh, yeah, you see it. It's, I mean, I deal with a lot of people on a regular basis, and I just see that everybody that I meet and talk to on one level or another is trying, is completely in a state of um, just having no self-esteem. They're very much driven into discussing things very topically. They, they're, uh, you can tell they're very, there's a lot of anxiety there. And it's just, it's kind of sad. And that's part of my work is to try to help people out of that and try to re-empower them so that they have some kind of semblance of, of being fully, you know, human and, and having those natural um, I guess you could call them God-given instincts to to you know have confidence and to walk with your head up high and to to know who you are and know your surroundings. But a lot of these people today completely disassociated. A lot of people won't even keep eye contact with you. Um, right. The conversation changes to about seventy different subjects in a matter of five minutes because the attention span just isn't there anymore. Or now they're pulling out their iPhone because they're texting some like six people while they're having a conversation with you. So it's just very difficult to talk people these days, don't you find? It, it certainly is, and it's getting worse with, with the young, too, who are really, who are really mind-bombed with the technology and addicted to it, too. They don't, they don't know they're addicted to it, but they are. There's a lot going on with technology that makes you addictive, addicted to it. It's designed that way. A lot of, a lot of other scientists go into the creating of that thing, not just to get it working, to, to, but to make sure that you're addicted, just like the video games do as well, by the way. Oh, yeah. But, um, the other thing is, too, is the uncertainty. You understand, for control purposes, you must keep people at disease. Don't give them ease. Disease, that's where the term comes from. You're at, uh, not at ease. And so what you do is keep it un, uh, uh, their lives unstable, always with the threat of a war or being invaded by someone. Today it's terrorism, of course. It's excuse for all totalitarian regimes. And, um, and also the economy. Now, this whole thing with economy, very few folk understand at all. The whole thing's a joke, folks. It's a joke. Uh, if someone can print up your money, you don't know who they are, by the way, and it's printed up as debt to begin with. It's backed literally by nothing. There's no gold there in the reserves anymore. And you put $1 into the banks in Canada, any bank, and they can, they can, they're allowed by law to loan out 10 or $11 to that $1 that they have, that one real dollar you've just put in. That's a law. So they, they instantly create more debt all the time. And then you have all these banks uh, borrowing from each other and lending out all this stuff, which is really doesn't exist. It's backed literally by nothing. It's, it's paper, now it's plastic. Uh, and yet we're all supposed to dance our lives away and plan our lives around uh, something that can buy a pound of sugar one day and maybe half a pound the next. I mean, there's no certainty on anything, and it's designed to be that way, to keep you at disease, basically, dis at ease. Uh, and uh, because then you're easy to control, you feel helpless, government agencies come in, they take care of us, our, our lives for us, professionals are sent out there to deal with it all. Don't worry, have faith in us, the, the experts, and we'll make things all better, little children. And this is the message we get all the time. Uh, the so-called professionals at the top, the top economists came out in, in Britain years ago, and I think it was a Man Alive program, 
from the top universities. And each one of these guys had left the profession and formed their own association because they said the whole thing was a con, pretending to be a science. They all knew who ran the money system, the families involved. They all knew that it was backed on nothing except who owes what to somebody else. And the average person has no ability to say, okay, I have this about our money here. It'll be worth the same amount and buy the same things in 10 years' time as it does today because it won't. It's always getting devalued. It's built in inflation in it. And we're ripped off left, right, and center. But it keeps you in a position of helplessness because you have no control over something so vital today as the money that gets your food, pays your rent or your mortgage, or buys your medications if you're sick or whatever, etc., etc. You're meant to feel helpless. And this is where, again, Bertrand Russell and the top manipulators, the Frankfurt School, said they would bring the West to. It's all been done. And, of course, nothing's going to change, by the way. Nothing would change until this whole money system uh, is completely altered. Canada was the only country for a long time, even during the Great Depression, that other nations sent delegations to because we were not in the same mess that that they were in. Because at that time, Canada had its own uh, real bank of Canada, not an office that they have today where the representative for the Canadian government meets with the moneylenders and borrows money from them. That's what it is today. But back then, Canada did have real, uh, real Bank of Canada. They printed their own money out. They sold it to the bank, so there was no loss. It wasn't debt money at all. And they put the rest into public projects, and that's how it got into the public's hands, down this trickle down, and it actually worked. But, of course, again, Trudeau and the boys got in, and they had to... Being globalists, they had to dismantle it all. And now we're in the same mess as, as, as all the other private banks or governments borrowing from private banks like Goldman Sachs, etc. Well, they, people here think that it's still run that same way. They think, oh, we've got our own Bank of Canada and we've got our own thing going on. And you can't touch us here in Canada. We are immune from the yeah. problems in the world. And, of course, Australia would say the same thing and so would many others. And um, yeah. so it's it's just absolutely incredible how this has really worked. It is, and you'll find every, every top uh, executive uh, or, or chairman, CEO of any top private bank, uh, they're, all, they're all trained by Goldman Sachs again. Everyone, I think even Carney left Canada to go and be in charge of the Bank of England. It was one of their boys too. So they do musical chairs. They're internationalists. They know the con. And even Rothschild said it a long time ago when he took over the Bank of England. He said, yeah, she said it in his grandmother's authorized book. He said, he said that it was a scam. The money system was a scam with debt. It's all based on debt getting the, and getting the taxpayers to fund every loan uh, that the government borrows from the private banks. That's what it means, you see. And he said, those who catch on, he said, will be very few, and they'll work in the profession as accountants and chartered accountants and, and get paid awfully well for doing so, so they, they won't make any fuss over it and inform the public. And that's still true today. Wow, and there was even, somebody was pointing my attention to, I can't remember his name, but the, uh, the president of the South African Reserve Bank was on record saying something of that regard as well, about how, oh yeah, the whole thing is fictitious, it's based on debt, and you know this is how the money system has to work. And so it was basically another admission uh, that, that does squeak out there, and that people can read and pay attention to. Uh, it's just so funny how you don't hear any of the so-called experts on the mainstream media talking about any of this stuff. No, and they won't, because they all belong to the same uh, CFR-type club. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's like, it's, it's the same compartmentalization in the media as well. Yes. But they do know that much. They know it's a con and they must never tell the Joe public. Uh, as I say, if something was real, um, it would be backed by something tangible you could at least hold or have. Uh, but for someone else, you'll never meet to say, oh yeah, that dollar is, uh, you could buy a, a cup of coffee today, but tomorrow you won't get the sugar for a cup of coffee for that to put in the coffee. Uh, it's all out of your control, you see. And now, of course, Canada signed the same deal from the World Trade Organization, uh, sorry, the World uh, the, the Bank for International Settlements, which is, is to be the big World Bank, by the way. They're the big one that was set up and quickly talked about to, to run the world's banking system. And they own it. It's a private institution. Uh, the Bank, Bank for International Settlements got, got all the countries, including Canada, to sign on for the bail-ins that are coming in 2015, where they can scalp everybody's savings out of the bank, legally steal all your money. Well, isn't that, it, wasn't that bank, the, the BIS, wasn't it basically set up using the loot collected out of the Nazi, uh, the whole Nazi Regime no, that was on the go in the 1920s. It's, that was one of the first institutions that, that the group set up, the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It said this would become the, the kind of banking system that would decide the value of each currency and who owed what and how it would all be settled uh, in the future. And that's exactly where it's been raised up today. It's getting raised up to its proper position uh, of the dominance. Same with the International Monetary Fund, which the Royal Institute for International Affairs also set up as a debt collector, basically. They come in and they, they manage your debt, they slash your health care, everybody dies. That happened in Yugoslavian places uh, where they came in, and, and next thing you know, uh, folk couldn't even get uh, antibiotics for, for tuberculosis, and lots of them died off. They do this wherever they go to recoup what they claim is their debt. So you're still in the age of massive money lenders because it's a very sophisticated scam of the money lending families hiding behind these organizations which they set up and control. Uh, this is really how simple it really, really is, you know. And um, the world they want to bring in is the ones that Arthur C. Clarke even talked about in 2001, 10, and 3001. Eventually, you'll have the ultra-rich scientific class living very, very high. All, all the ordinary folk have kind of died off somehow. He doesn't quite get into how they all died off. Uh, but the, the scientific intellectual elites... Uh, very multicultural, different features of different countries in the same person's face. You'll see all these little traits. And, but they'll serve an even higher elite, of course, which are the, uh, the eugenically interbred type that really believe, through Darwin's philosophies, that they deserve to rule the world. Since, after all, they've, held on, they've had power for centuries by intermarrying special other families. They don't marry for love or any of that kind of stuff. That's, uh, it's arranged marriages, and it's all accepted by them as a matter of fact. As long as they have the children to take over the dynasties, and they go into the same professions, uh, literally the wife can do what she wants as long as she doesn't have children by someone else and the guy does the same kind of thing. I mean, royalty's always done that too. So, uh, but they always give you the, the other version for, for you to follow to get a stable society. Now they're wrecking the stable society now as they try to eliminate the bonding and uh, the popu bring the population down. There's more children going up in smoke now today. This is fact, folks, than, than actually get born alive. And we think it's normal. We accept that, you know, yeah. See, devaluation of life is so important because eventually it's all it's happening to all of us. Yeah. You see, eventually it's our turn. Well, and, and I mean, the this is basically a belief system that these people have. I mean, let's talk well, about absolutely. the mentality and why they believe this. They believe that they, I guess, 
they they don't look at themselves as being like us at all. Like they may look at us, I guess, as a as a separate species from them. Or that's something. exactly what Bertrand Russell said. He said eventually the ruling elites will will become a separate species uh, from the ordinary people. That has happened. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So I get, and that's part of their whole interbreeding genetic whatever alterations um, and the fact that they are hoarding the technology, the life extension technology and all of this knowledge that they've hoarded for centuries from all the indigenous tribes that they've wiped out and uh, really they just, they're sitting on top of there and they, I guess when you're born into these types of families, you are also raised up to sort of believe and uh, believe this whole ideology and and I guess there's sort of a genetic memory there that also kind of uh, plays into that as well, right? There's there's possibly that, and it's not you can't rule that out. However, um, in the more elite families, the young are not all the young, by the way. I mean, I know Prince Charles was out the loop. They test you for your intellects, and if they, if they find you can blab and say the wrong thing, uh, you won't get into the no. Uh, but uh, uh, these families do have spe- special education for their for for their gifted children, as they call it. Uh, where they do get into the real version of their history, reality, the future, and their role in history, because uh, they're creating the wars and bringing the, the world to its present position, and how much they do control and where they're going to take it. So there's, there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, but as I say, not all of them are in the loop. I know Prince Charles wasn't uh, in the loop in a lot of things. In fact, his own schoolmaster said... Um, said he was pretty hopeless at school. So, um, but uh, regardless, the, the top ones certainly do it. When you go back into eugenics and the eugenics movement and the perfect uh, family, the American family uh, magazines, for instance, they came out of the eugenics movement, the Rockefeller-funded one in the States, and they had one in Britain too, of course, and the, and the Galton and, and the Darwin Institute. It's still on the go today, by the way. It's still on the go. It's been revived as a eugenics institute, you know, under uh, for Darwin. And, uh, and they have no problem now telling you, uh, you again uh, that there's lots of inferior types of humans that will simply have to perish. And they can't drag them along anymore because they have no real function in society. You see, we've lost our humanity and we've been trained to go along with losing our humanity. But again, moral relativity, uh, no right and wrong as such. Life is cheap. Watch television, you'll see it in all the movies. As, as all the special um, forces go around blasting and slaughtering people in movies and fiction and drama, uh, life is cheap. Um, if you serve the system, even the average Joe for a little while, if he doesn't get killed, can join the army and get some kind of instant honor for simply wearing a uniform, meaning your one form, you lose your individuality, your own privately. That's why you're called a private when you join the army. You don't belong to the public at all. Uh, and so... Uh, you get all these scams on the go as they use people and spit them out, what's left of them. But that they did create a whole generation in time to go off and fight these wars from, from, from the Gulf War I, 1991, right through to the present time. And in the American magazine, uh, I've read it on the air, in fact, it's in the archive section, there's an article by an intelligence officer saying perpetual war. And he said, we'll use all the disgusting techniques that have helped to destroy our own civilization and culture back home. From Madonna, and he goes through all the different artists and so on, and spread it across the, the, the other countries to destroy their cultures too. This is a planned thing. It worked here. It's happened already, folks. And they're trying to do the, the rest in all the Muslim countries too. 
Oh yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty monstrous. And I mean, Alan, you've been researching this for. Uh, I guess I, I heard somewhere you were talking about how you've been pretty much open to it for a lot of large portion of your life, right? Did you have um, a particular moment where it really struck you that there was definitely something going on in a global sense? It took me a little while, not too long for global, because. Uh, aside with simply getting born in Scotland and wondering why everybody was living in the same boat, uh, here was Great Britain with most folk living in council houses that their great-grandparents had paid up with their rent money and, and were still paying rent money. Lots of them were, were after World War II into the 50s and 60s, were, were reopened. and They were condemned homes that went back to pre-World War II. They didn't have enough housing for the ordinary folk, even though they promised they would have them if they went off to fight and get killed and slaughter people. So anyway, I, I wondered why everybody was fighting, uh, all, the, all the domestic disputes, everywhere you went, everybody was nervous. And mining communities, everybody complained about basic things like the rent money. Basic things. They were, they were in, uh, always in fear of it. Food, everything they had was second hand. All their furniture was bought on tick, I mean credit. And the guy would come round every week and you paid him half a crown or something. Uh, uh, every family was in the same boat. I, I thought, what the hell is this? What happened here? After centuries of, of dominating a, a good part of the planet, uh, here we are, uh, you know, in, in this mess here. We lived in a fixed economy. Uh, they had a pretty well average wage for every person. It didn't matter what they worked at. When you worked, when these big boys at the top had worked out at just how much, see, a family of two parents, two children needed to, to just get through that month and how much they needed to pay the basics and just get by. It was a pretty well fixed economy. That got me into the history books to find out what had been going on. And then I found out at school by the age of seven, I says, why are we getting taught history even to do with Scotland? That's totally fictitious. Because I'd already been in the, the, the adults' library, and I got a ticket for it to pass. To, they gave me, because I saw a gift in a way, they gave me a, a, a passage to get in. And with the references, uh, the books written about the same time as big battles in the 1700s, completely different version. So I realized that even I was getting brainwashed in school, and I'd bring it up at school. And then I went into, again, the writings of the top philosophers of the 20th century and the 19th century. And then you, you got the, the idea that this just was, wasn't just a a plan for Britain or Scotland, or it was a plan for the whole planet. Uh, and then, of course, when I hit on to the major organizations uh, which dominate the world, especially in the media, in education, and writing the, the, the educational books and so on, it's all the same clique. It's quite easy to do when you have all that money, and, and the one clique owns everything, all information. But today we're, we're so far beyond that because now, in a totally, and, and some of the big boys said this a, a long time ago, for a totally safe planet for themselves, the elite to live in, everyone would have to be completely predictable. To be completely predictable, they'd have to have all your daily information given to them by you. And here it is. They have virtual yous and eyes. All in the Pentagon, I've read this article, it's also in the articles, the archive section, according to the metrics.com, uh, where, where the, the, the Pentagon, from their own writing, says that they have a virtual everybody, Canada, the US, and everywhere else, in uh, computers in the Pentagon, super computers. You update it daily, they grab it, all the data, all, that, that's, your, that's your phone calls, it's, it's your chats, tweets, everything, emails. 
your Facebook a whole lot. You update it for them. They add it to their virtual you and they run little games on it, scenarios to see how you would react in the virtual you because they found out that you will react in real life. It's so predictable. You are so predictable. And they know us completely. So it's pretty well here. Wow, that's incredible. Well, we've only got about one minute before we're going to get cut off here, Alan, and I just wanted to get the opportunity to thank you for coming on the show with us tonight and, and bringing forward this research. And, of course, we could only cover so many things in a topical manner, and we encourage everybody to go out there and research this on their own. And You can get a lot of this uh, information at Alan's website, which is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And, Alan, thanks again for joining us tonight on the show. Yeah, it's really been a pleasure to be on here, yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, folks, that's it for tonight, and we have another episode coming up again next week, so feel free to tune back in next Monday, same time, same place, and uh, we will be talking to you again about some more fascinating information and some uh, ideas for you to go ahead and look into for yourself. So I'll leave you with that. Have a great night.